Once upon a time, in a far-off internet, there is a podcast called Cinedrunk, where we are drunk on cinema and, and alcohol. alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com and, I guess, Stephen Sondheim. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hello, little girl. Oh, no. I wish that would stop. Um, <laughs> if you haven't guessed, we're discussing what? Into the Woods. Ah. The musical film transition of the classic Broadway show that every high school in existence has done. Not mine. <laughs> well, does yours even count as a whole? <laughs> All 12 of you. The village... <laughs> the village schoolhouse. As, um. as I'm sure you would never be able to guess by our demeanor, we have a drink, a beverage in our hands, and what are we drinking? Sure do. It's really, oops, um, it's it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's called over. it's called the Black Forest Manhattan. Mm. Apt. And um, there are kind of two prongs to this pitchfork. <laughs> And one prong is the Black Forest, which, of course, to anyone who is a thinking person, uh, just conjures up images of Germany, Hansel and Gretel, the witch. Or just forest, woods in general, you know. We're talking Black Forest in Germany, witch territory. All right. Into the woods is witch territory. So that witch territory? is witch oh. territory. Oh. Who's on first? <laughs> so, and then it's a Manhattan because it's a classic, duh. And also the other kind of prong to the pitchfork of Into the Woods is that it's very, it, it is very Broadway. I mean, okay. Here's the thing. The second act is very New York City. Gritty. Gritty. Dark. Times are shitty. Avenue A. Supposedly, even though Stephen Sondheim has um, downplayed it and he's allegory. Well, he's a fool. I mean, he's a <laughs> genius, but he's also a fool. Um, <laughs> oh, I hope he's listening. Anyway. Uh, Stephen Sondheim, big listener. <laughs> He's, he was our first subscriber. Um, no, there, so there's something obviously, you know, beyond the fairy tale about Into the Woods very deliberately in the second act. It's, it's getting into real universal themes of grief and loss and love and despair and hope and everything that one experiences in a life. Mm. And in New York, everything is heightened, so they say, which is not true, but um, hence Manhattan. Also is that not the... Straight up Manhattan, most... just Broadway, and this is a Broadway no, musical. I, I wanted end. to take a different tack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I applaud that and your pitchfork. Yeah. Well Grant. Done. And it's is a wait, what's in this drink? Oh. Do tell. Um one second. Uh, <laughs> 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 so <laughs> it it's actually quite dastardly. Um <laughs> oh my. because it has cherry syrup, first of all. So you need cherry juice mm -hmm. and part of that you need to reserve for the rim of the glass mm -hmm. you need granulated sugar you need kirsch or kirsch uh, which is maybe some of you know it as an ingredient in fondue it's a cherry flavored liqueur um, and then the bulk of the drink is cocoa powder super fine sugar whiskey chocolate bitters and then a sour cherry to garnish. Um, so you make the cherry syrup separately, obviously, you rim the glass, um, and then to mix the cocktail, you just basically shake everything listed in the second part, pour into the glass, garnish with the cherry, and it's witch-tastic. It's complicated. So those Much, German men I know. I actually Much don't like... know how we even did this, but it does taste delicious. It really, does. it's just very sweet. 
Which I feel like is sort of like the film. Mm. Perhaps a little more sweet than it should be, but still tasty. Still enjoyable. But tasty in a way that you're like, this is giving me cavities, not nourishing my body. But is it my cavities? (laughs) Oh, oh, (laughs) Or is it That's coming back to Broadway. Now we're going to start seeing Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yikes. Um, So the movie for people, or the the show in general, for people who are not familiar, is the first act, the first half of the film, is very much a setup of traditional fairy tales. So you have the classic Cinderella story. She has her wicked stepmother and stepsisters who won't let her go to the prince's ball. Um, and then in this particular telling, instead of a fairy godmother, she has the tree of her dead mother's grave. You know. Naturally. Like you do. Mm-hmm. That grants she her wish. Lentils that she cleans up. I mean, very traditional <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, there's Little Red Riding Hood on her way to visit her grandmother. There's the story of Jack and the Giant Beanstalk, very traditional to what you've been told. Um, there's Rapunzel stuck in a tower with her prince. And then there's a witch who actually is holding Rapunzel, and then sort of the added characters of the baker and baker's wife, who want to have a child, and it turns out they're barren because of a curse the witch has put on the baker's family because of the actions of his father. So it all sorts of set, sets up the scene of these stories where they all go into the woods, mm-hmm. <clears throat> as the title song would suggest, to get whatever they want, be it... The prince, get their wish. To mm-hmm. get their wish, right. Um, and then about halfway through, they all get their wish mm-hmm. and are successful. The witch wants these four magical items in order. She looks like an old crone, and it's her way to turn back into a beautiful young witch. Um, that's the only ones whose stated goal I had mentioned. And then Act 2 sort of deflates all of yeah, those. Yeah, picks up like after what happens ha- after ha- happily ever after. Right. Deflates all those goals. Which, and... as we all know, if you're married, there is no <laughs> Happy New Year, you guys. Goodness. Dun, dun, dun. Can't, wait the the anniversary. Can't wait for your third anniversary. <laughs> if we get there. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Um, but before we get more into how the movie works overall, I will say I enjoyed it. Yeah, thumbs up. We went with low expectations. I think this is my favorite. I think the key is to go into it with low expectations. Even still, I mean, just, it's good. It's solid. I would say that it succeeds in a way that most musicals don't. In that, with the exception of really one member, everyone in the cast is solid to great. Yep. And can all sing, which... It seems in recent years in movie musicals, directors have forgotten the fact that they should actually get actors who sing. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think that would be a prerequisite for being, being in a musical, musical but... <laughs> Tis not. Just Tis not. like high school. <laughs> to harken back to those times. doesn't always get the parts. Singers, in general, don't always get the parts. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. bitter. Oh my. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have a, a question. Who who are a few who's... <laughs> oh, God. Dun, this dun, Black dun. Forest Manhattan. Um, best in show. Of this cast? Yes. <laughs> now let's talk about the original of cast. The original cast? Any Joanna Gleason. Of the revival <laughs> cast? Julie Andrews. Laura Benanti. <laughs> of the film... I think Emily Blunt for sure. I, th- I mean, the those are the most sympathetic characters, and that reads the most natural on screen. And the heart of the film is is with them a lot. She's funny. I think "Moments in the Woods" is the best song or the best complete scene mm-hmm. that's executed best performance wise um, in the film. I admit that I. I knew Meryl would be good. Of course, she's always good. But I was, and I know she can sing, and I've heard her sing in other things. But I was still taken aback by how good she was. Like mm-hmm. she can belt, and she has not done this type of big Broadway belt 
I was surprised by before, her voice, and it was sure. very, very good. I think the film does some things that are not good for her performance, um, but it, I think Emily Blunt is, is best in show. I would agree. Mm. Um, I think she's MVP, and she pitches for my team. What? As such. <laughs> Sports analogies. What does that mean? Um, it doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> I think, no, I think... <laughs> you for like okay. I'm very That's more of a batting. Oh, I see. That's bad. She's and pitching is different. All right. I have no idea. I'm just <laughs> don't listen to me. Um, what I was going she to say. She threw a ball in your direction, she, and you and caught, I caught it. it. Um, that's a euphemism. Um, she, she, she. Oh, she. I and wish. I wish I could remember his name. More than anything, James Corden. James Corden, who is adorable. So the baker and the baker's mm-hmm. wife, something I haven't really thought through until now, which is dangerous, is that their characters are just so normal, borderline banal, um, and what they're wishing for is so... Grounded. Grounded, everyday, whatever. They want a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people are on this earth to do for the most part is reproduce so there will be more people so their story is the most tragic it's really sad i mean in a way that some of the others aren't and i think that's why the payoff by the end is so great with those two characters being kind of Kind of the center of the film and the heart of the film. Well, it's also yeah. the closest that they they stick to the script of the original. I mean, they have the least material missing too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're they remain the most fleshed out or more fleshed out than anyone else. Right. Um, Your MVP. My MVP is Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. partially because I was also surprised by her because she was sent up for sort of an unknown quantity to me as far as what her singing voice sounded like mm-hmm. and I was refreshed by how lovely it is it's really lovely and she also understands phrasing and played with phrasing a lot in a way that then I think sometimes get people get caught up in just sounding pretty but like she yeah. didn't do that which you have to do with Sondheim she's also she right yeah. yeah you have to act it out right because his stuff isn't melody driven anyways it's lyrically driven mm-hmm. um but she also was very funny, but moving when she needed to be. So she, I mean, you guys already said it. I don't need to repeat what you guys have so articulately or described. But my <laughs> second runner-up, who I enjoyed, and then I said it earlier, and you guys made a face at me, I thought Chris Pine oh. was so great. I thought Agony was the highlight of the film in that I found a lot. And this woman behind me, annoyingly, who talked through the whole movie, but actually said at one point, a lot of the one-liners from the show, they kept in the script, and they fell really flat on screen. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it had to do with editing mm-hmm. and sort of the jumping awkwardly sometimes from scene to scene yeah. and not having a live delivery of it, and it loses its spontaneity. So a lot of the jokes actually didn't work. Mm-hmm. But agony in a way that it's sort of it no it is it's funny on stage because the lyrics are funny yeah and the bravado but the staging of agony was the best for the tone that i think because i'm not ultimately this is my big problem with it is that i'm not sure what they wanted the tone to be yeah um you know i don't think anyone was sure but agony seemed to fit most what the film was ultimately trying to be which was a tongue-in-cheek sort of twist on mm. on the on the fairy tale and I thought it was really funny. I was surprised by Chris Pine's voice, which I thought was great. Yeah. And he seemed to understand the tone and his delivery. He made even what were clumsy lines with other people who are normally good actors, but they felt clumsy when they had to deliver the dialogue. He made it work because he committed fully to what he was supposed to be doing. And I say this is not a Chris Pine fan. Like I'm usually no, I'm not 
I don't dislike him. I'm usually ambivalent. Like, he puts me to sleep, and then I, like, can't remember him. He, ne- he neither offends me nor delights me. Yeah, I thought he and Billy Magnuson as the two princes like, were Billy Magnuson's absolutely Billy Magnuson's other pants were MVP. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, that is true. A, a notch above yes. Emily Blunt is Billy Magnuson's leather pants. Um, I kind of... Like, I see I see where you're coming from, and Agony definitely works, and the audience we saw it with ate it up. Um, but I feel like the stage show is a lot more tongue-in-cheek, especially Act 1, and just you're able to get away with so much more with, like, fairy tales and being sarcastic and meta and tongue-in-cheek right. when it is a theatrical live production. And I feel like for the film, they tried to ground it a little bit more, and I really got a a lot more depth out of the story, and I think it was mostly... You got more depth from the movie? <clears throat> At times. Uh, obviously, it's not as successful as the stage show, which oh, is my favorite I'm, musical. This is, but Yeah, that's interesting. But, like, just the general thesis of the overall thing about storytelling and being a parent and what it means to be a father or a mother or a child was a lot richer and they they sometimes mind that and it was mostly mostly in the performances it's mostly in the performances especially with Meryl Streep and Rapunzel like a lot of it it, as a stage show you can it's very plot driven because there's a lot to get through and you can skim over a lot of it you don't necessarily get those nuances but especially with like just from the get-go when you have like Emily Blunt's reaction or the baker's wife's reaction to um, Little Red coming into the shop and she's very sympathetic. Yes, take that. it. Here's here's the basket. I liked that a lot. And you're like, yes, this woman really wants to be a mother. She wants a child. This they can't reproduce. They they want to have a child. It dug a little bit more, or at least was clearer in the the backstory of the baker's father and why he's hesitant to become a father. They sort of undercut that by not including, which is the, the my biggest problem with the film and the biggest mistake they made is by cutting no more. A song that happens near the end after, spoiler alert, the baker's wife, Emily Blunt, has died, which they sort of sugarcoat by not really showing it. It doesn't have as much dramatic heft as it should have, especially when you have, because it would be so long, you have to sort of truncate the the second act. Um, They, I, Black Forest, Manhattan, I've lost my train of thought. What was I saying? No, you're talking about... (laughs) Oh, just no, no more. more. So it, it it comes. That's sort of the the baker's sort of catharsis song. Each each of the main characters sort of has their "I learned something" song, and that's his like. It would give him that emotional payoff of "I've lost my wife, my child, my newborn child does not have his mother. What am I going to do? What is next?" And he starts to tell the story, and because you don't have that song it doesn't have that emotional heft that it should have had to really drive home that point. But otherwise, like, even Meryl Streep, with moments as um, when she's with Rapunzel, who she sort of raised as her daughter and been overprotective of, there were just moments that really enriched and gave me more depth or insight into the general feeling of the the musical of, of what true. I thought it was about that's more so than I get on the stage show when it's tongue-in-cheek and really entertaining and then the genius of a stage show is the the split into two acts act one you get it's it's great music it's a great score you get act one ends with happily ever after and then it's like wait what's next all of act two you get that depth I sort of got an overall arc of depth throughout the whole thing of that sort of parental Thesis. And I, I felt think, the exact opposite, but mm. go ahead. I think what you're saying is not some, I mean, uh, you say what you say, but I think <laughs> what you're saying is not so much that there's more depth in the movie, but that the movie lays bare a little bit better the genius of the bare what Sondheim has created. That's true. Yes. I think at its worst, the stage show can be just manic. And kind of, a little bit. There's a lot of plot, a lot of characters. Which I think it depends totally on the staging, depends you know, on which production you produ- see. Right, seen a bunch completely, of shitty productions of it. Completely yeah. depends on it. But that's also like we're seeing a, a particular adaptation right. to film. And film is a better, an easier way to kind of orient the audience mm-hmm. who isn't used to having to make these mental leaps from things. I mean, it's not... 
it's not a complicated show, but it's not, there's a lot more than meets the eye, obviously. So watching the movie, I, for one, was much more able to connect to what I thought Sondheim was getting at. I've only seen one live stage production and it was brilliant, but I felt the movie brought me closer to the material. I agree. Even if even if I didn't think the movie was as well executed, executed as the bare bones, I like... felt more connected to Sondheim or you know whatever he produced, whatever he created. That's so fascinating to me because I feel the exact opposite, and I'm going to take you point by point through why you're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I felt after, and again, I. I feel like I should qualify and say that I enjoyed the movie. I would recommend it. It's a fun, fun old romp. There's some great performances, and it's refreshing to see actors who can actually sing, sing live, complicated music. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I saw Diet Sondheim. Mm. It was like Sondheim without all of the things that actually make it good and the flavor interesting taken out. To begin with, and I think the only one that sort of maintains it is Emily Blunt. And part of it is because she's so brilliant as a performer, and she's so great, and she understands what the nature of her of her character is. But also, hers is the only one where they... Now I see why they are campaigning her as lead. Hers is the only one where her overall arc remains basically intact. I mean, they they sugarcoat in the film because it's Disney and they want children to see it. They sugarcoat the fact that she has an affair with the prince. They just yeah. see them sort of kissing, and that's it. When they did it, folks, they fucked. What? <gasps> and her death is like some very obscure, artsy, Abstract. like, watch my hand float away. But besides that, like, her overall arc, especially through her songs and dialogue, is there, which is sort of the expectation of a wife the need and want to become a mother and then the ultimate realization that that's not the only fulfilling thing in your life and that there are still things that excite you, which is what happens with the prince. And then she pays in a very sort of traditional way. She pays the price for that, which is she dies because of her infidelity, but it's at least interesting. And that remains intact in the film, but everything else is lost. Even, even the witch, because in the stage show, that's messed up. You know, I mean, Stay With Me works in the film, and the, and that scene was moving, and that scene I connected to, and I thought Meryl's performance was great. But in the stage show, Rapunzel is left, is basically, first off, it shows that Rapunzel is driven insane by all the tortures the witch puts her through, right? Because the witch first blinds her prince, cuts off her hair, and then casts her off with twins, because Rapunzel is pregnant, pregnant. and has children, casts her off with twins into the middle of, like, a swamp. Yeah. And so even by the time that Rapunzel gets her happy ever after, the idea is she's had so much psychological damage at the hands of the witch that she's batshit crazy. Well, she dies. And then she goes, right, so then she goes insane when the giant comes down and she gets crushed by the giant. So the one thing... Which leads into the witch's lament. Right, which leads into the fact that for the whole first act, the witch is really, with the exception of Stay With Me, her main thing that she wants is her youth and beauty. That's what she holds on to, which is also significant for women that we've been learned, you know, and learned about <laughs> my English. We've been taught to crave youth and beauty as the most important things to being a woman. And then she loses her child and she realizes, oh my God, like, what can I do? And her, so her whole witch's lament, her whole last midnight when she's at her wit's end because she just doesn't give a fuck because she's lost She's the only thing that mattered to her. The whole thing is undercut by the film because Rapunzel rides off into the sunset with the prince. Right. Which leads me to the cut of Abby. She does not ride into the sunset with the prince. She rides off on the back of the horse with Billy Magnuson. There might not have been a sunset involved. But they ride off together, which leads me to number two. Her tears cure his blindness, and they ride off, and they're never seen again. We don't see them again. Which is that the the cut of the second agony song... The whole reason there's that second agony, I mean, we do see the Cinderella's prince have an affair with the baker's wife and be a general cad, but we also see it in Rapunzel's that his wife has died and he's like, whatever, I found this new broad, which takes down this whole idea. I mean, that's the thing. 
beyond just the idea of parenthood, which you say the film does all right, the whole the stage so subverts the idea of these fairy tales we've been fed from childhood and the fact that That's they true. always end at this happy ever after and that life doesn't end there. And the idea that like these men that we've been building up in our idea, these this idea of the beautiful prince who will come to save us from our life, which again is a very like female idea, right? That it's a complete fallacy that anyone who wants this woman who's unattainable and loves her will never be happy with it because he just is in love with an idea and not a person, which is what the second agony and ultimately especially Rapunzel's prince moving on is important. But instead in this film, Billy Magnuson and his hot leather pants are an okay guy because he and Rapunzel right off together. But that's not the focus. I mean, right. this I is the focus of people who know and love the stage show. This is not the right. focus I mean, of people who are watching the movie. I will concede They're not going to come away and say, oh... I learned that Rapunzel and I mean right. it's just not right. what you're going to no, come knowing away as with. much you as us to make some no. cuts. No, I mean you I have to change I do things. understand that. I just think that the whole I think that Into the Woods has a bigger overarching thing which is the idea that expectations of a happy ever after are a fallacy and it goes systematically through and shows how. I think the film loses that completely. A little bit, I but I feel like it by it focused on one of them, and that was the like how the show ends with the like children will listen. It's all about, but it's like over credits. No, most I still think it kind listen. of works. Most people don't even listen to lyrics over I credits. I know, but still, I I agree with the um, you know Rapunzel not dying is a mistake because then Meryl's whole like last couple scenes just don't have no weight. They don't have the weight. They don't make as much sense, and it's. Uh, it's too bad because she's doing great work. But I also wonder, because there was a song written for the film specifically that was for the witch. I know, I wonder yeah. if it maybe enriched that whole arc better. Right. I, I, I'm curious to know once, like, hopefully it'll be on the, you know, DVD, DVD or Blu-ray yeah. extras. But um, as it stands, it doesn't. And it I can see, an you know, Disney being like, wait, 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 Tangled was a success a few years ago. Do not kill Rapunzel. Like, I can see Disney's influence sometimes when I... Again, knowing the show and knowing what should happen or what right. what really shades out these arcs. I don't think it needed the second agony, though. I think focusing on that would have been too much. You can't have a three-hour film with intermittent. As much as I would have loved... I know, loved, but having said that, then they could have freaking cut, as much as I love them, they could have cut both Little Red Riding Hoods and Jack's song because having them performed by child children losing all subtext especially little red song you kind of had to though that's again the, the thing of you can't have as but great as agony works all of, all of little red's diversion with fucking johnny depp being the worst thing in worst the movie in yes of course his true. song into hers you could have lost that whole subplot or cut but it you kind of need it by the end to be invested and to know little red but i so wasn't that, i didn't care i thought she was kind of great i loved her i didn't care I mean, of course, it, it. You just you can't have on screen a a little red and a Jack who are older, so that you get the whole like sexual awakening of both of them, or like the maturity of them, because that's just not going to read on screen, especially at the end when even Anna Kendrick is. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Depp is the it worst. I still sexual awakening, not personal sexual awakening, but an awakening to what's in the world. A little like, bit, the, yeah. That doesn't, and that's still valid. Just because it's not the same as the stage show doesn't mean it's not. I understand that I, it didn't effective. work for me. Jacks worked. To be fair, Jacks worked better, and I liked the staging, and I thought he was engaging as a performer, and I liked Lila Crawford in her other scenes. But her song was played so dry, and then it had that sort of little literal. I mean, it wasn't because it was artsy, but the like recreation of her experience, which no other solid. character had. It was weird. And because of it, it made the song very literal in a way that had it just been her and her before. I mean, Jack, like, running through the trees, even if it can't be read as a sexual awakening, it was his awakening to what else life beyond his borders. Like, I saw the yep. world expansion happening through the performance of him in the tree and running and the energy of it. But hers was so deadpan, and then it had this literal reenactment of it that I was like, oh, so it's just about Johnny being eaten by... the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> just joke. about being eaten by a wolf. Like, I don't know. It didn't work for... Her perform Her performance in that scene did not work for me, and the stage of it did not work at all. I thought she did the best with 
that interpretation that they needed to go with for the film and Johnny Depp's performance, which I, I shudder to think how much he made for that one awful scene versus everyone else. But <laughs> well, um, he got creative input on his costume. He sure did. Even though to no the one else did. Film's detriment and to his detriment, put him to sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we haven't talked too much about her, but I think Anna Kendrick was one of my weaker links. Yes! I think she <gasps> she has you. a beautiful oh, voice and I love her in general, but she's too sarcastic and contemporary to really get all of the the nuance and everything she could get from Cinderella. And especially at the end when, and I know Nathan and I discussed this right after we saw it and he doesn't necessarily agree with me, but by the end, Cinderella is kind of forced into this maternal role to take care of the um, baby, little red. Little and red. like when she's next to Lila Crawford and of course they're not the same age, but they, they look, look the same, the same age. age. Like it just doesn't read the same. Again, it does not have to be the same as the... No, it totally doesn't. It show. totally doesn't, and, but the lyrics are and there. And this is another... Um, situ- this is like a situation where it's not happily ever after. She is not in an ideal situation. It's not, but it also just loses the completeness of her arc to, be, to her being like, oh, I don't mind cleaning. Sure, I'm going to live with you. I'm kind of a hobo. Rather than her being like, no, I've matured. I no, I that's realized. her being like, oh fuck, my life sucks. Everything has gone wrong. I'm gonna kind of try to make light of it and make this joke about cleaning. But kind of, it that just totally doesn't... read fine to me. Well, my, you I are mean... so hit. This is it's. <laughs> you're so hindered by knowing the show so well. Probably right. sure. I, I, I still I really appreciated the the film. I did. I did like it. Well, here's my problem with Kendrick, and it has nothing to do with the stage show. It really doesn't. My problem with her is what I have with so many. It's what I'm going to have with um, the last five years, is that she looks like a child. And when you put her next to Lila Crawford, her body is actually smaller than Lila Crawford's. <laughs> like, she, she just reads, even next to Chris Pine, she reads so young. And it would be fine to have, like an ingenue it like you know what I mean you could still have a young woman in the idea of her like going through right because Cinderella's journey is ultimately her going through the idea of what she thinks a fairy tale life would be which is to go to the ball to fall in love with the prince prince, to be the princess and she realizes that that's not the dream which is like a classic like early adulthood late teenage which is too bad in general because the steps of the palace they do sort of alter and adapt for the, the movie and it's one of the better adaptations for the film and yeah, she's I great in it. I don't mind that change. Um, I don't know that I would go so far as she's great in it but she's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it is the like the contemporariness of her and she also didn't play I feel like the thing that I actually love about Cinderella and yes it is the stage show but in general the way she's written in that song is Cinderella is like really quirky and actually right. a little bit dumb. Cinderella is a little bit of a space cadet at the beginning of the show, and part of her journey is to stop being such a space cadet and like learn to live in the real world. Like totally. that's the character arc. And Anna Kendrick just reads so like smart and sassy, and she played this Cinderella as more of like I don't know her pitch perfect character. You know what I mean? Yeah. That it like it never I did, I never felt any growth on her part. So all she looked was really out of place. She has a beautiful voice. And yep. her dress looked budget, but that's not what <laughs> It did. I agree Paul on that. looked budget. And now that you say, I'm glad you pointed that out, because seeing this live stage show, I did really enjoy that aspect of Cinderella's character near the beginning mm-hmm. being just a little dim. She <laughs> Which is actually <laughs> just really like her refreshing. She hasn't... <laughs> seen much else beyond right. you know being right. suppressed no by her. it's an interesting take yeah. on that character and and Anna Kendrick never comes across as someone who is maybe unaware of the world right yeah she, if, if <laughs> she's not <laughs> and it's maybe just casting she seems like a she's very really conniving but she's on top of everything correct like she correct there's like a wisdom to her which I appreciate in Anna Kendrick as a person doesn't make sense I feel bad that I've never really found a performance it's from her tree mother could be 
I mean, that's why she's so great, right, in camp. It's because there is an element totally. of her which is like, she is this old woman singing right. Ladies Who Lunch. Absolutely. Like, she is this sort of wiser than her years, overly precocious child. Yeah. And she still looks like a child and feels overly precocious in a way that is not at all conducive to the part of Cinderella. And I just don't buy her as a in-age contemporary to any of the adults. Instead, I feel like she's the same age as Lila Crawford, she's which is why her singing no one is alone which is this moment that cinderella steps into adulthood and that's not me like taking on what i know from the stage show that's actually how that song is supposed to play out that you know that quartet is of the baker is finally stepping up to his role as a father after thinking doubting himself that he can do it without his wife he's finally stepping up to his role as his father and cinderella is finally stepping into not even necessarily maternal but stepping into the role of an adult yeah. And I just don't buy it because Lila Crawford looks older than her and bigger <laughs> than her. I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah, I mean, it's just the, the arcs didn't match up. Yeah. Well, I think that's the brilliance of Sondheim's lyrics, too, is that you can analyze them endlessly and there will still be new things to discover. I mean, yeah, I mean, this show is I'm notorious for not being able to listen to or absorb lyrics in music or musicals or otherwise and so <clears throat> part of why the movie spoke to me more directly was because everything was enunciated better because it That's was true. a film it wasn't right. live and you got close-ups on their face to tell yeah, you the story you could really see their mouth so i i just understood everything better right and so and i can see that I don't. it makes me want to <clears throat> read you know, read the book or read the mm -hmm. lyrics yeah. um, again and kind of, so we can pick up this debate part two <laughs> where I can prove you wrong that she doesn't have to be turning into an adult. No, I don't know. No, I think it's, I think, I mean, I think we can all agree that Sondheim is a genius. Boom. Yeah. And that... You know, if nothing else, the movie made me want to listen to recordings of the show, mostly the stage show, not the movie, yeah. um, over and over and kind of reacquaint myself with what this is really saying. Because right. it's beautiful and, it, and it's universal. Right. Which again, I'm happy, you know, as much as I'm complaining about it here, I'm happy that this exists in a form that more people can see it and more people yep. will be introduced because, you know, it's like I would rather people at least try kale, even if they aren't going to have a steady diet of it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so pretentious. I don't yeah. mean that. I just mean, but for me, it lost so much of the richness. And well, part of it was in yeah. the transition. Part of it was in what was cut. And part of it was in in casting. Like, and it, this whole Cinderella arc to me was just completely lost. And you said you liked the on the steps of the palace, which I, I do agree with the choice to make it instead of a reflective song after the fact, making it one happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was one of the more beautifully shot. I think that sort scenes, of informed where she, they had, they took the character and that she was kind of more of a like frozen character, like from the Disney film, like more of a, this is what's in line with Disney's female characters. Now is they're more of a go getter and she knows what she wants from the beginning and she's going to make that choice during On the Steps of the Palace and it just it I guess it's just not as so. interesting. Right. I mean the it's great not. the great thing about that scene and she could have played it with a little bit of lightness is even though it was happening in the moment of discovery it was still this whole like I'm going to get what I want. Whereas the beautiful part of that song is again because she's a little dim She's first really taken aback by it, and then for the first time ever exploring her feelings in a way that she never has, right? It's someone who has never been self-reflective for the first time being like, oh my god, I'm being self-reflective. Oh my god, I don't understand what this means. What does this mean? And all that spontaneity, even though they changed the tense of everything... Mm -hmm. It doesn't read because I always know what she's going to do. Which they kind of Because she always seems everyone. like a smart firecracker. Like even for like Little Reds, I know Sorry, things I now. Sorry, I snapped. That's going to be really <laughs> obnoxious for people. Even for like Little Reds, I know <laughs> things now. And for Jack's Giants in the Sky, like all of that sort of spontaneity discovery, and yeah. discovery is not necessarily there. Yeah. And that's something that you can 
is much easier to be there, obviously, when it's a live stage production. But I will say, again, and I think this is why she became my best in show, and Chris Pine, actually, for the moment in the wood, Mm -hmm. all of his, her like, this isn't right, you actually watched his moment of, what can I say to that? (gasps) Right and wrong don't matter. Like, you actually watched his moments of, of his own skeezy discovery of like, how can I get this woman? And you saw him think about it and make a choice in the moment and then her then follow up to it felt spontaneous and it felt like something which is why again i think that was the best scene in the film right and her whole arc is the one that works the most and poor james corden who i think was doing his best but then they did undercut him by not including my least favorite song in the show but it is necessary for the emotional arc of that character yeah and where his journey goes to So let's let's ignore the overall scope of the show and the performances, which again I think, while I'm not high on all of them, general thumbs up. General thumbs up, and again, even if Anna Kendrick wasn't my favorite and looks like a 14 year old, <laughs> she got a pretty voice, and I appreciate her them casting people who can sing. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Lila Crawford's song didn't work, but I don't necessarily think that was her fault, especially because I liked her deadpan. Mm-hmm. In all the other parts. Yeah. I thought little Gavroche was great as <laughs> Jack, and I did like his song, even though it lost, again, for me, all subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked The Princes. I liked Meryl. Meryl, I felt bad because Last Midnight vocally sounds amazing, but the camera work and special effects in that scene are so crazy and distracting. And it was also... I mean, there were a lot of times when just seeing the film, I was like, oh, a lot of this makes more, like, I know the lyrics by heart and I've seen the show. I know generally what goes on, but like, oh, okay. Knowing more about the, the original curse and the beans and like everything was laid out better. But then at the end at, well, the witch's end, it was like, wait, what is going on? (laughs) And then all of a sudden she's a swamp or something or she dies or commits suicide. And you're like, wait, I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened or what her motivation was, but okay, she's gone. (laughs) Because again, any deaths, even like Jack's mother, we don't really see her dying. Right. Those were, and the giants, it was all hokey. Oh, that CGI was It was like, they were kind of setting it up like, oh, there's going to be an action sequence. This is what we're building towards. Oh, nope, we're going to, like, here are some birds, and we're going to, like, throw something at her face. Oh, she fell over, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? But, but, they didn't, but you didn't know she was dead until all of a sudden she wasn't there. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I think that's what, anyways, my point was we should move into the actual technical aspects of the film. Beyond performances, which overall I think we're high on. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the orchestrations were great, and oh, I love Oh, the orchestrations are beautiful. amazing. 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 The, I don't know, everything was fine i know you've mentioned like the costumes being budget but they kind of matched the set design the art direction which was kind of like we're sort of a stage show this is sort of like an imaginary woods but it's kind of in this weird period where it's futuristic or older i I thought it was i kind of matched i hated johnny depp's Obviously, right. it was right. well, and that was his it's choice wretched. to have it like zoot suit. It was horrendous. Yeah. Um, but everything else, I think that's a good point that it kind of matched the the it's straddling the universe between reality and fairy tale. Anyway, so well, you know what? I think ultimately the re- I think the only thing I was again just excluding Johnny Depp because let's all pretend he wasn't in this movie. Agreed. Um, I think the reason I was disappointed in Anna Kendrick's costume is because textilely it looked cheap in a way it shouldn't because I thought the witch's costume when she transformed, I thought that blue creation with all the like textual details was wonderful. It mm-hmm. didn't look based in reality. Everything looked heightened and theatrical, which I'm fine with. But hers looked interesting in a textile way, the same way... You know, even the princes with their leather pants. Like, everyone else had interesting details. The gold Cinderella dress just looked actually cheap to me. (laughs) I agree completely, and I think that's... I'm not yawning at all. Um, I agree completely, and I think that's uh, partly why she looks too modern. Mm. Right, because she's in a budget dress. (laughs) And it's not even... For me, it's not even budget as much as it's not... It's not over the top enough 
Right. To, I wanted like a big gown. To or be something. to fit in that world. Yeah. When when she's wishing for this. Like it's not just a dress that she finds right, it comes yeah. from at the, the bakery. Yeah. From the baker's wife. Like dead, it's dead. like conjured up. So. Or like even when she runs, when she runs sometimes she pulls it up and she has bare legs underneath in a way that I'm like, but Emily Blunt is wearing like thick wool tights and like everyone just seemed to be it's fine to have an imaginary, but then there has to be some cohesiveness yeah. about the period and about the general aesthetic, even if it's completely fantasy. I mean, I, God forbid, I hate to bring it up, but like Noah, <laughs> I just read an you know the article on the film experience about the costume, costume designer, and it was like, it was very specifically not period specific. It was meant that it could be many years in the past or many years in the future, yeah, but at least it all felt like it was part of the same world. The same world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that I felt like the costumes in this were like all over the place. Yeah, I agree. I will say that I, I'm, I'm glad that it all sort of, besides the costume, just like art direction, everything being kind of theatrical, that it sort of came together or at least matched in tone, I felt like was smart because audiences don't necessarily, can't really take musicals on film yeah and i felt like somehow it, i mean even me as a musical lover like the first few minutes i was like uh why are, like they're singing yeah, and it just moment. doesn't it takes you a little while to get into it just and modern audiences are, are not, not right yeah. modern audiences are just not prepared for it um and it sort of it, it helped me be like okay this is kind of it's a theatrical thing right I just wish, I guess, it would have been more cohesive. Oh, no, totally, totally. I also think that there would have been a way to do the scenery where it's sort of fantasy, sort of theatrical, without having a tone to the actual film color that was, I think I read somewhere that it's like baby poop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was kind the of just I mean, the like... The general ca- color palette, the color correction. It's like earth tone, and it's just kind of blah. Yeah, it just looks like vomit. <laughs> and I don't understand that as being a choice. I mean, I would rather you give me, like, again, I'm invoking a bad film for us all, but, like, Maleficent-type colors. Oh, no. What dreams may come. No, mm. I mean, obviously that movie was Beautiful. terrible, but, like, you know what I mean? The palette, yeah. it, it feels, it didn't feel real. It felt fairytale-esque, but at least was, like... Vibrant. Vibrant to look at. The only thing positive I could say about that film is if I completely closed my eyes and just looked at some things, I'd be like, oh, that's maybe a pretty painting. Closed your eyes and looked at things? Sorry. Closed my ears. (laughs) Skills. These black forests. No, you know, if I plugged my ears and didn't pay attention to the plot or anything and just looked at the stills of that movie, it would look interesting in a way that Into the Woods felt bleaker in a way than it needed to be considering the film didn't actually really commit to the bleakest part of the script yeah especially just like the audience we saw it was like you know early afternoon christmas day Mm -hmm. and like you know obviously the film spends like three-fourths of its time in act one because that's all like establishing you have to set it all up but then like by the time you get the giant people were kind of restless like wait this is still going, everything happened. And the genius of the, the stage show is obviously you get the second act where it's right. like, wait, everything's already happened. And obviously... The, you also the get film, the passage of time, which this film Right, which misses. this, it definitely did, and that, that's a problem. Yeah. It needed, even if it wasn't with a song, even if it was with some sort of, even just a graphic being like, six months later. Right, just a little entre-act, just something. Yeah. Because having no passage of time... Again, you miss out on the idea that or like being restless actually... in a marriage or what to do as a right. fumbling new parent. Yeah. Right. Totes. All of those things get rushed in a way that it, the whole movie feels like it takes place in a four-day period. Yeah. Um, well, I will say on a positive note, because I realize I haven't sounded very positive on it, besides <laughs> Emily Blunt, which is really not true. Or maybe it is true. Maybe the more I reflect on it, the less high I am. But I think... A difficulty the film had was in the stage, oftentimes you have several scenes taking place at once in a way that's easy for your eye, especially the prologue, Mm. is easy for your eye to follow, and it's hard when you have to put that in film and have to do a lot of cuts, and I thought the editing and general structure of the prologue, which is like 17 minutes long, the Mm. first 17 minutes of the film, I thought were great. I did too. Like, by the end of the 
the I end of the jazzed. prologue, I basically had tears in my eyes. Like, I was jazzed. I was on a high goosebumps, like, yes, yeah. movie musical. Where Boom, they can all get me sing. Into it. Yep. it was well cut. Yeah. Yep. It's unfortunate just for the the film that the next thing really that happens in the script is, is the, the wolf Johnny song. Depp. Yeah. It's yeah. so unfortunate. It is. It because was like it instantly brought me down. Such a high, and then I was like, meh. Uh, Meryl, and the, I mean, it took me a, a, a little bit to get into Meryl. And, and, and generally, I loved her better as the, the old hag than the, the, the end. But that's wife. mostly just because of what, what they did to adapt it. But um, her first scene with the baker and the baker's wife, she's, Meryl's so funny. She's, she's so really good. funny. Yeah. She's so I'm not the first person to say it. I won't be the last. But Which we've also complained about before about Meryl is that lately she's been so into this like method... The Iron Lady, Hope Springs. She hasn't been funny and loose in a way, even though I believe she was very, like, studied in this, too. There was a certain, at least for the first half of the film, before they neutered her character, which, again, I don't think is her fault. It's the adaptation. Rapunzel needed to die. Sorry, Rapunzel. That you need to go. (laughs) She gotta go. Um, She gone, girl. There was a certain, like, spontaneity and, and just fun quality to Meryl's performance that I haven't seen in a long time. And yeah. I really appreciate her for that. She's earned her locked supporting actress nomination. Agreed. She shouldn't win, but I'm glad no. she... I'm fine. It doesn't feel like just a Meryl nomination for like Meryl's sake. taking someone else's spot. Right. Yeah. Totes. Anyhow, I think we're all a general or tentative thumbs up on the film. If you get a chance to see a stage production somewhere that's not total crap, seek it out. Again, it's candy. It's delicious, but it's not very filling. That would be mine. The film. The film. Mm. Mm. My critique. <laughs> and Nathan is asleep. I'm not asleep. No, you're not. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.